Pastor Kurt Skelly being willing to come. And uh, if you are from Faith Baptist Church in Fredericksburg, will you please stand where you are? There they are. All right. Thank you, guys. You can be seated. So they are used to hearing this guy every single week. So if they go to sleep, it's okay. All right. They probably already heard the message. I don't know. All right. But uh, appreciate Pastor Kurt Skelly. He's been my friend for a long time, long time. And uh, appreciate Brother Kurt and his willingness to come to Makaira every single year. And uh, Brother Kurt, love you, man. Appreciate your friendship. Give us what the Lord has given to you. All right. Well, good evening. Oh, that was pathetic. Let's try that again. Good evening. Yes, yeah, good to see you. Sure do love our, our, our guys at Faith Baptist Church. We've got a great church. We really do. I know you do too. Uh, everybody ought to think that their church is the best, but uh, not everyone's right. We're, I'm right, okay. Uh, we really do. Honestly, um, we have a busy church, a lot going on, but honestly, the, the guys right here in this room uh, really represent the ones that get it done. And we, we get it done in Fredericksburg, and we're, we're, we're grateful for what God's doing among us and in us and with us. I appreciate you coming to this conference. We had more that wanted to come, but uh, Pastor Heath, where are you? Just, to, yeah, where are you? There you are, yeah. Uh, you have this cutoff list, you have this cutoff, cutoff list. Get a bigger church. What's your problem? Man, we could bring some more guys. Uh, this is one of the most refreshing conferences that I have the opportunity to be a part of. Uh, there's no, there, there's no axe to grind. Uh, there's no camp to be in. It's just a group of guys that, within moments of arriving, feel like they belong with each other. And that's the way it is every year. And I know some of you have come back year after year. You know that to be true. Uh, but those that are just here the first time, relax. Honestly, relax. You're among friends. Uh, Honestly, it's going to be a great uh, couple days together. Brother Bill Prater is my dear friend. I know many of you have not met him yet. What an incredible preacher, incredible testimony. And this guy has been used all across our country specifically to help men. And he speaks in all kinds of different conferences. But I'm telling you, uh, the way that he, God has given him just a, a, a way of communicating with men, and you're going to really enjoy uh, his ministry tonight. I'm not going to take long uh, in this opening uh, service. I just want to get us started, and then you're going to hear the main message here in just a bit. So I hope, uh, turn your cell phone off, whoever just got, was that you, Heath? Okay, good. All right, All right I'm sorry. <laughs> we need to have grace with people. But, Keith, if it was you, I was mad, okay. Um, hey, First Samuel chapter 27 in your Bible. Uh, when Brother Heath started talking about the life of David, I thought, oh, no, I might have to cha change my message. I, uh, I, I, had a me I was preaching in California a few years ago. Uh, it's been, been probably 10 years ago. And I was supposed to preach on a Wednesday night. And the Monday night preacher preached a message from the passage I was going to preach on Wednesday. And then, uh, so I thought, well, you know, he didn't preach all the same things I was going to preach. So I stayed with my message. And then the Tuesday night preacher, I'm not kidding you, preached from the same passage, Luke chapter 5. So Monday night, Tuesday, now there's nothing left to say, nothing left biblical to say from that passage. So I changed my message. And I, came, I, developed, I stayed up that night in the hotel room. I developed an entirely new message. 
and it was on the, the axe head, the floating axe head. And I thought, there's no way anyone at this conference is going to preach on the floating axe head. And so I went to the morning service that Wednesday morning, and wouldn't you know, the preacher preached on the floating axe head. He said, what did you do? I quit. That's what I did. No, I, pre I preached on the floating axe head. I didn't have another message in my bag, so that was it. So uh, tonight, uh, I'm in 1 Samuel chapter number 27. If my message was going to be on Jonathan, I was still going to go with it, Heath. But uh, thanks for uh, uh, not touching this passage. Uh, 1 Samuel chapter 27 tonight, uh, in your Bible, go ahead and remain seated, but uh, follow along carefully as I read, beginning at verse 1. So 1 Samuel chapter 27, verse number 1, what the Bible says, And David said in his heart, Have you ever spoken to yourself? Have you ever said something in your heart? You didn't say it out loud to others, didn't share it with your wife, didn't share it with your best friend, didn't seek counsel about it. You just said something to yourself in your heart. At the gut level, at the soul level, you had a conversation with yourself. That's David here in 1 Samuel 27. Notice what he says. David said in his heart, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. I'm going to die. It's just a matter of time. He's going to find me. He's going to kill me. There's really no hope for me. This is David's conversation with David. Verse number one again. There is nothing better for me than that I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines. David's conversation with himself. Hey, uh, I'm, going to I'm going to die if I stay here, so I better run. I'm going to die, I better run. This is his conversation with himself. I'm going to die, I better run. Verse number 1 again. That I should speedily escape into the land of the Philistines and Saul should despair of me. This is my idea. I'm going to die, I better run, and so Saul will forget about me. Because Saul shall despair of me to seek me anymore in any coast of Israel. So shall I escape out of his hand. This is my plan. This is my plan. I'm going to run away from the country that God told me to lead. I'm going to run from the place that God told me to inherit. I'm going to run to the Philistines, and then everything's going to be okay. Verse number 2. And David arose, and he passed over with the 600 men. See, when you make bad choices, uh, people that follow you are subject to the bad choices you make. And the Bible says that 600 men that were with him uh, unto Achish, the son of Maok, king of Gath. Now, if I'm going to run to Philistia, the last place I'm going to run is to the place that is the birthplace of the guy that I killed, right? That's what he's doing, Goliath of Gath. He goes to Goliath's hometown. Verse number uh, 3. And David dwelt with uh, Achish of, at Gath, he and his men, every man with his household, even David with his two wives, Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess, and Abigail, the Carmelitess, Nabal's wife. Look at verse number 4. And it was told Saul that David was fled to Gath. Now, now watch the, re the reaction as Saul learns that David has fled the country. The Bible says, and he sought no more again for him. Well, that's exactly what David wanted. That David had this fear, and he had this conversation with himself, and he said, it's not working out where I am. 
It's not working out in my marriage. It's not working out with my job. It's not working out in my church. It's not working out with what God's called me to do. It's not working out. So I'm going to run, and my problems will be solved. And so he did just that, and he ran. And his problems, according to verse 4, at least ostensibly, were solved. Because what he wanted to accomplish, Saul's not going to chase me anymore. He accomplished. Saul's not chasing him anymore. But did David make the right choice? Of course, you know he didn't. So what is this? This, in my opinion, 1 Samuel chapter 27, is a giant in David's life, listen, bigger than Goliath. This is a giant in David's life bigger than Goliath. Why? Because Goliath didn't make David run. The biggest giant in your life is not the one that's the most imposing. The biggest giant in your life is not the giant that somebody else would describe as a huge trial that you overcame. No, the biggest, uh, go, the biggest giant in your life is the one that makes you run. That's the biggest giant. And David faced a giant in his life bigger than Goliath. Let's talk about that giant. Because I think that giant looms large in your life. I think that giant stands in the battlefield of your life and challenges you too. We need to learn to get the victory in our life over the giant of fear. No, I'm a, I'm a man, Pastor Kelly. I don't fear. No, no. Yes, you do. We all do. And your fears, when they become your counselors, get you into a world of hurt. So let's talk tonight about what it means to face a giant bigger than Goliath. Father, I, I pray that you'd bless the message. How desperately we need you. We know that your word is our resource and we know that your Holy Spirit is our guide. And we're asking tonight that both your word and your Holy Spirit would do a work in our lives. I pray that your Holy Spirit would take the word of God from these pages and insert them into our hearts. I pray that we would sense your presence among us. Lord, I pray for that man in this room, that young man, perhaps that weathered veteran church member man, whoever that is, who is tempted to run from, tempted to give up on, tempted to turn back from. Oh God, tonight I pray that you would help us to learn this lesson, to face this giant, to live for Christ. Strengthen every man, please, in this room tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to show you verse number 7 of our text. We're not going to read the entire chapter for sake of time. But notice what the Bible says in verse number 7. What the Bible says, and the time that David dwelt. So David ran, and uh, David feared, David ran, and uh, David uh, succeeded in what he wanted. Uh, Saul's no longer chasing him. And the Bible says in verse number 7 that the time, the time that David dwelt in the country of the Philistines was a full year and four months. So for one year and four months, David was, we would say today, outside of the known and revealed will of God for his life. For one year and four months, David was on spiritual pause. I wonder, have you ever been on spiritual pause in your life? Where things need to be, we're going so well, and things need to be progressing so well, and then all of a sudden, uh, you put that pause button on, and, and for an indiscriminate uh, period of time, you just didn't serve God. You just kind of got into that 
funk and I just didn't go forward. That's what happened to David. David got onto spiritual pause for one year and four months. Bible scholars tell us that during this one year and four months, nothing was written by David. Nothing. The one that seemed to never stop writing. The one that seemed never to stop testifying. The one that seemed never to stop praying. Now, for the next one year and four months, none of that's going on. He's kind of in a mental funk, a mental fog, a spiritual a no man's land, if you will. A spiritual pause. Matter of fact, in this one year and four months, David really acted in a way that wasn't David. Have you ever been in a situation in your life where you're just not right with the Lord and people close to you say, you're not yourself. That, that's out of character for you. You, you wouldn't normally do something like that. I mean, David is a man after God's own heart. David is that gentle psalmist. David as uh, a man that loves people. And yet the Bible teaches that during this season of David's life, David becomes a mercenary. Did you know that? They give him his own city by the name of Ziklag, Achish, the, uh, the, the uh, king of Gath, that gave him uh, uh, his own little city. And David would go on excursions. And the southern part of, of uh, the border of Judah and Philistia and attack these Canaanite cities and kill everybody. I mean, I'm talking about men and women and children, little babies. He'd run roughshod. Well, why? Because he didn't want news to get back to Achish, didn't want news to get back. He would just kill, went on a killing spree. David did. David did. For one year and four months as David lived on this spiritual pause. Not himself, not listening to God, making progressively bad decisions. Seemingly no way out. That's where David was. David, not himself, not listening to God, making progressively bad decisions with seemingly no way out. How did David eventually defeat this giant of fear in his life? I mean, what is it? I mean, after all, David had faced this giant before. David had made the same mistake before. Do you know this? Uh, about six chapters before this, uh, David made a really dumb choice. Say, what did he do? Well, back in 1 Samuel chapter 21, David was afraid. And David had run from Saul, and Saul seemed to not be giving up, and David didn't know where to go and what to do. And so what did David do in 1 Samuel chapter 21? He ran. Just like he did here. He ran. But not with, not with others, just by himself. And where did he run? He ran to Gath, the same place. He met the same king, Achish. And remember, when he got there, all the leaders that, that were there with Achish said, you know who that is, don't you? You know who that is? That's the guy that killed our giant. That's the guy. And they all suspicioned him. And, and they uh, no doubt wanted to kill him. And, and did David all of a sudden realize, what have I done? Where am I? Have you ever made a dumb choice in your life and found yourself in the environs of that, of that dumb choice and said, what, what am I doing here? What, what am I doing? You come to yourself like that prodigal son. He came to himself, but what am I doing here? So the Bible teaches that David made, made himself like a madman, remember? Spit, spittle on his beard, acted like a crazy man, and they let him go. And he escaped by the hair of his chinny-chin-chin, right? God delivered him. And boy, David got back home, and he got back to a cave. All of a sudden, the cave didn't seem so bad. All of a sudden, Saul didn't seem so bad. All of a sudden, the will of God didn't seem so bad. All of a sudden, church and home, it didn't seem so bad, right? So he comes back home, and what happens? He writes a psalm. 
And in that Psalm, Psalm 34, he'll, oh, my soul will magnify the Lord. My soul will make her boast of God, he said in Psalm 34. Man, he had a little spiritual revival. Boy, God, you delivered me. Who, God, man, I almost lost it. Who, God, I was almost a goner. Have you ever made a bad choice and God bailed you out? You better believe it. We all have. And boy, when God bailed you out, boy, you were singing some psalms of praise, weren't you? You were saying, God, thank you. Oh, I serve a great God. Oh, God, you're so merciful to me. Oh, God, thank you for not judging me. Oh, God. Right? That was David. He wrote Psalm 34. He also wrote Psalm 57. In Psalm 57, in that cave, he wrote another poem. Man, he's just on a writing spree. He writes another poem in Psalm 57. Here's what he says. He says, God, my heart is fixed. Matter of fact, he said it twice. Oh, God, my heart is fixed. My heart is fixed. Your what, David? Your what is fixed? My heart. In other words, I'm having this conversation with myself. And I'm saying to myself, self, I'll never make that mistake again. Self, I'm fixed now. I'll never make that choice again. That was dumb. God, you are good. Man, I've learned my lesson. Let me ask you a question. Have you ever told God what you wouldn't do again? Have you ever told God what you would never do again? And then you did it again. That's where David is. In 1 Samuel 27. He wrote a poem about it. He thanked God for delivering him from it. And now that giant of fear has reared its ugly head in his life again. And David is right back in the same situation he found himself six chapters ago. Same situation. Man, I'll tell you what, that sounds a whole lot like you. I was going to say me, but not me. Well, it sounds a whole lot like us, doesn't it? And so let's talk about it. What can we learn? Because God is infinitely more concerned about delivering you from your fear than he is about delivering you from your problem. Matter of fact, I'll say this. The problem that you think is called, that causes your fear is probably something God wants to leave there. Because the problem was inserted in your life not to cause you fear, but to cause you to have faith in him. No, the problem has a purpose, but the purpose was not to scare you. The purpose was to drive you to a God uh, uh, with, with whom you'll never be scared. No, that, that was the purpose. And so God's primary concern is not to remove the problem you have. It's to remove the fear that's dominating your life's experience. So what do we learn about the fear that David had in 1 Samuel chapter 27. For sake of time, let's just dive right into the chapter. The problem of fear that David had. First of all, notice that fear speaks. Fear speaks. Now, I'm not talking about audibly. I'm not saying that there are words that fear uses, but, but fear does speak. And to make no mistake about it, in chapter uh, 27 and verse 1, when the Bible says that David said in his heart, what, what, what he's saying, he's saying out of fear. This is fear speaking. This is Timothy. This is Timothy in Ephesus thinking, oh no, oh no. Uh, my, my leader, uh, Paul, is in Rome. And, and, and the, the entire Roman government is blaming the Christians uh, for all the economic woes of society. And, and I was associated with, with Paul. And people are going to think that, that I'm responsible. And I'm in a Roman city, uh, Ephesus. And people, I, I, might, I, I might get arrested. I, I might be beaten. Uh, he lived in fear. And Paul wrote him and said, Timothy, stop it. This is not who you are. God hath not given us the spirit of fear. 
but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Be not thou therefore ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but be thou partaker of the affliction to the gospel according to the power of God. Come on, Timothy. Because sometimes when we look at what's around us, we get afraid, don't we? David looked around him and said, oh, Saul, and, and he's got all the trained troops, and, and it's just me and these, these 600 men that don't have, know how to pay their own debts and, and what big help they are. They call themselves mighty men, but really are they? I mean, I'm telling you, David was afraid. Fear. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. See, we have a problem when we start rehearsing our thoughts, don't we? Now quit listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. Quit listening to yourself and start talking to yourself. Now David was listening to himself, passive. His heart, his fear was screaming at him. We see that fear, number one, speaks. But watch this, number two, fear suggests. Now fear always gives us the options. A fear was speaking to David, but a fear gave David some options that he could act upon. A fear likes to speak loudly. A fear wants to be not just a counselor. A fear wants to be your only counselor. Now, David had all kinds of other counselors in his life, but David had the counsel of past experience, and David had the counsel of the known Word of God, and David had the counsel of prophets like, like Gad and others in his life uh, that, that would come alongside of him. I mean, David had counsel, but it seemed as if in the season of his life, the only counselor David was listening to was his own fear. Now, man, that's the way we are. We have our fears, we don't share them with anybody else, but by not sharing them with anybody else, who are we sharing them? Ourself. When you don't share your fear with anyone else, then all it does is bang around in your own brain. And nobody can bring clarity to it. Nobody can offer a, an opposing position. Nobody can superintend it uh, with the Word of God and show you how that fear pales in comparison with the promises of God because you don't share it, just tell yourself it, all it ever does is bang around in your brain. And so fear was speaking, but fear was suggesting. Suggest and what was fear suggesting? What, watch it, verse number 1. And David said in his heart, I, I shall. Here's what fear was suggesting to him. I'm going to die. That's what fear was saying. You're going to die. David, do you think that you can get away with this forever? I mean, you run that way, Saul goes that way. You run that way, Saul goes that way. I saw, I mean, every place you turn, he's there. Remember that time when he was going to attack you and you were a goner? And at the last possible moment, the Philistines attacked and he had to leave. I mean, that's not going to happen every day. I mean, there's going to come a day when your luck is going to run out, David. You're going to die. That's what fear was saying. Fear was screaming at him. Fear was all the, the, the uppercase, large font letters in his life. The fear was suggesting, David, you're going to die. And David believed what fear said and made all of his decisions. Listen, he made all of his future decisions on that one false assumption. Think about it. He never vetted it out. He never got an alternate opinion. He didn't see the multitude of counselors. He just said, okay, that's what fear says. And fear says it pretty convincingly. And fear says it pretty loudly. So I've got to make all my decisions based upon that one faulty assumption. And he does. He makes every future decision based upon the one faulty assumption that fear fed him. Which is you're going to die. 
But let me ask you a question. Did his past experiences teach him that? I mean, could he not have gone down uh, memory's road and, and, and memory lane and find out that, that that's not the case? I mean, uh, David, I, I read where uh, Saul threw a javelin at you and God protected you. And I read where uh, Saul threw another javelin at you and God protected you. And I read where uh, God, Saul threw a javelin at Jonathan and God protected him. And I read where God gave you the heart of Jonathan as a friend. And I read where God gave you uh, Saul's daughter Abigail as a wife uh, or Michael as a wife. And I, I read where uh, God, God delivered you by, by letting you out the window that night from her house. And I, I read where God uh, provided for you with that priest. And I read where God miraculously has guided you all the way. I read... Well, we could go after time after time. All he had to do was count his blessings one by one. It would have surprised him what the Lord had done. We know what fear does? Fear ignores your past. Fear ignores every single time that God has delivered you. Fear does not take counsel of anything that God has. God's not done anything for you. Where's God? Isn't it funny how fear says, where's God? I'll tell you, he's, he's everywhere. His fingerprints are all over my past. But David wasn't thinking about any of that, was he? No, because fear was speaking so loudly that David thought it was the only voice in his life. Hey, not only did he have past uh, experiences that taught him uh, what fear, uh, the opposite of what, what fear was saying, but I, I think number two, he had past people in his life. I mentioned several of them. What about Samuel? What, what was Samuel's anointing of David? What was it? Uh, David, God told me you're going to reign and, you, you, and your, your seed is going to live forever. That's pretty strong. That's a pretty strong message. You're going to be the king and your seed is going to reign forever. That's a pretty strong message. Okay. That was God speaking through Samuel. And then Jonathan said, uh, David, I know I'm going to die, but I know you're going to live. And one day you're going to be the king. And when you are, don't forget my family. Right. And so uh, David heard that from Samuel. He heard it from uh, Jonathan. He heard it from Abigail. Remember Abigail? Told him, uh, I know that you're going to be the king. I know, I know, a wise woman. He heard it from Gad. Gad came all the way over to Moab and said, David, what you doing over here? God's promise has not changed. Get back to God's land. Get back to the land of promise. God's still going to make you king. You're still going to reign forever. And so here's Samuel. Here's Jonathan. Here's Abigail. Here's Gad. His own mighty men said, David, we're not going to serve Saul. We know that you're the king. We know that you're the man. We'd rather stay with you in a cave than him in the palace. But person after person after person after person after person who was right with God, who spoke for God, said, David, you're the man of God. But David couldn't hear any of them. You know why? Because he was letting his own fear bang around in his head. I don't care what the pastor says. I don't care what my friend says. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. I know what my fear tells me. Wow, what a dumb choice that is. A giant, bigger than Goliath. Fear was speaking. Fear was suggesting. Watch this. Fear was scheming. Now fear will always give you a plan. Fear will always give you a plan. Boy, if you don't consult counsel, if you just make up your own choices, you'll come up with a plan and your plan will seem so good. Fear comes up with really good plans. Like I'm out of here and my problems are over. I don't need this. I can just leave if I want to. But that was my dad's plan, by the way. My, my biological dad. His plan was, you know what? Uh, marriage isn't working out, I'm leaving. I'll deal with it later. My business isn't working out, I'm leaving. Tag, my tax situation's not working out, I'll leave the country. He spent his whole life running. Fear, 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 fear. No one else could talk to him. 
that's easier. This is easier for me. It'll just go away if I run away. It's fight or flight. That's what David did. David took counsel of his fears, and fear gave him a great, great scheme. Only problem with fear scheme is you can't make good choices without all the good information. How do you think you're going to make good choices in your life without good information? So you take one piece of information, which is your own fear. Well, my marriage is just isn't working. I'm afraid this is not working out, honey. I'm afraid this church thing's not working out. I'm afraid this job's not working out. I'm afraid this. And we, run, we spend our whole life running from every responsibility we have, every God-given responsibility. This was David's God-given responsibility. We run from all of it. Why? Because we listen to one voice, and it's the voice in our head. And no other sane biblical counsel has any bearing upon our decision-making. So what does David do? He makes this scheming choice. I want you to note, notice uh, several factors about this scheme, and th this will be all I'll say tonight. Notice that the scheme, first of all, was motivated by personal comfort. Would you look at it again? His scheme was motivated by personal comfort. Look, look at verse number uh, 1. And David said in his heart, I, I shall now perish one day by the hand of Saul. There is nothing, and say the next three words with me. Ready? There is nothing ready. Better for does that remind you of anyone else in the Bible? Some of you pastors. Reminds you of Jonah, doesn't it? And tw twice in uh, Jonah, Jonah chapter 4, Jonah said, better for me. It would be better for me if these people had never been saved. Better for me if this gourd had not died. Better for me. Better for me. Boy, you can know you're about to make a really bad choice in your life when you make a better for me choice. That's the criterion on which you made the choice. This would be better for me. This is better for me. Not, not what's better for the mighty man. Not what's better for God. Not what's better for the will of God. Not what's better for, for the country. Now what's better for me? This is going to be so much easier if I just run. If I just get out. If I just quit. If I just, it's so much better for me. Well, at least you said it out loud. At least you said it out loud. He was motivated by personal comfort. Number two, he was fueled by a false urgency. Look at verse number one again. One day, I'm going to die. There's nothing better for me than I should watch this speedily. See the adverb? Speedily escape. Well, i got to leave. i got to leave now. Well, let's talk about this. No time to talk about it. Uh, get some counsel. No time for counsel. No, uh, deliberate. Pray, but no time to pray. Did you, just, did you hear what I just said? I'm going to die. Okay, let's go. I'm going. Are you coming? Hey, think about it, guys. How many times have we made decisions in our life that have been ruinous decisions in our life because we just didn't deliberate? We didn't bother to get anybody to speak into it. We just knew our fear was yelling so loud. We knew the answer was, and we just did. And then we said, oh, man, oh, my, oh, me. That, that, that's what happened to David the first time. And now he's doing it a second time. It was fueled by a false urgency. Boy, I tell you, every salesman, every, and if you're a used car salesman, I'm sorry. You're probably the one honest one, okay. I'm sorry. But every used car salesman knows this. Oh, you know, you know, if you buy today. Yeah, well, no, let me think about it. No, 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 no. I mean, it's on sale right now. It's not, not going to be here. I'm going to tell you, there are five other people want this. Car. I mean, they're going to come in right now. Give me money right now, right? Oh, okay. You drive the lemon home, right? 
fueled by a false urgency. Motivated, motivated by personal comfort. Watch this, number three. This scheme disregarded past experiences. You know the most ironic part of this whole story? The most ironic part of this whole story is, last chapter, God gave David Saul. Listen, last chapter. Last chapter. There, there's the camp of Saul. And David's like, there's the camp. And he said to his two guys, Ahimelech and, and Abishai, said, hey guys, do one of you want to come with me to the camp of Saul? Abishai's like, yeah, I'll go. I'd be Ahimelech. Not me, right? So there, there, there's, there's David and Abishai, right? They're sneaking in to the camp. They're all sleeping. There's big bad Abner taking care of David, uh, Saul, right? What, what does David do? Man, just goes right in, takes his, takes his what was it, his sword or his javelin or his spear or something, ta- takes it. Can't remember the exact story, but he ta- they, they leash, remember? And then, then David calls out, hey, 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 wake up, you know, alarm clock. Hey, Abner, I thought you were supposed to be the bodyguard. Look what I got, right? And what Saul says? Matter of fact, if you forgot what Saul said, why don't you look back one verse? Why don't you look back one verse? Go, go back one verse to chapter 26 and verse 25. Then Saul said to David, Blessed be thou, my son David. Thou shalt do what? Great things. Also, thou shalt still what? Prevail. This is his mortal enemy. David, you're going to do great things. You're going to prevail. So David went on his way. Saul returned to his place. And David said in his heart. So David's fear is on the back end of this. Boy, if you think he's weak, just look in the mirror, okay, because we all do that. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. And boy, fear has a sh- this, this amazing shelf life, doesn't it? And so it was motivated by personal comfort. It was fueled by a false urgency. It disregarded past experiences. Charles Spurgeon struggled with depression. One of the great, greatest preachers of all time struggled with depression. On one particular time, he was so depressed he couldn't leave his house. Think about that. Couldn't leave his house. Charles Spurgeon sat in his house, so depressed. A man came to visit him, tried to encourage him. Charles Spurgeon would not be encouraged. So finally the man said, let me read you something. He began to read him this this sermon on discouragement. About two paragraphs into the sermon, Spurgeon said, okay, okay, okay. Because the guy was reading his own sermon. And sometimes we need to listen to our own sermon, don't we? That's something that David learned in the next chapter. He preached to himself. you got to learn that. Number four, this is, this is the, the second to last thing I'll say. Fear of schemes, it disregarded past experiences. It seemed to be successful. See, that, that's the most insidious part about the schemes that are born of fear. Is that they have an immediate illusion of success. I wrote this down in my notes. The worst result of a sinful scheme is the temporary illusion that it worked. Yeah, well, you know, I did it and nothing bad happened. No lightning bolts yet. 
You know, I left and I feel a whole lot better. I'm glad I did. Yeah, I, you know, I stopped giving and serving and attending and I'm not, but nothing really bad. You know, no, no. The, 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 the insidious part about a sinful scheme is that there is an immediate, there's an immediate illusion that, that it worked. Matter of fact, I'll say this. The more you're convinced that your sinful choice worked, the deeper you're going to descend into that sinful practice. Matter of fact, if it's a sin of commission, the very best thing that can happen is you get caught quickly. Because when you're not caught quickly, it's fully set in your heart to do what you've done. Number last here. His fearful scheme was motivated by personal comfort. It was fueled by a false urgency. It disregarded past experiences. It seemed to be successful. But lastly, this, this, this scheme of, of David's, it made everything worse. Do you, do you understand? It made everything worse. So David became this guy that no one recognized. He's not the sweet psalmist. He's not writing poems to God. He's not praying. He's not making any good biblical choices. He's really kind of an alter ego of himself. He becomes a bloody man. And years later, when David's right with God, he said, God, I'd really like to build you a house. And God says, no. No, I, I can't let you build me a house, David, because you're a bloody man. See, with sin, you get what you want, but you don't want what you got. There are consequences. And in David's sinful choice, this one-year and four-month pause in his life, David made a choice that complicated the situation. Didn't make it easier. made it harder. It exacerbated the situation because he hurt the people he loved. They ended up getting stolen by a marauding group. Remember the next chapter? It procrastinated the faithful choice that he needed to make. Now, David... See, when you make the easy choice, you think, I made the easy choice. No, no, you just made the right choice more difficult. You see, when you make the easy, sinful choice, and you should have made the right choice, then all you really do is make the right choice more difficult. Because David did have to face the Philistines. He did have to tell them, I'm not going to fight with you. He did have to, and God even had to bail him out of that. Because the next chapter, they're fighting Saul. The next chapter, they have the big battle where Saul dies. And David, ostensibly, is going to be part of that battle. And God kind of lets him off the hook. Remember that whole story? And David had no way out of that situation if God hadn't delivered him. You know why? Because sin complicates. Sin exacerbates. Sin procrastinates the choice that you just need to make right now. So what's the best way to deal with your fear? Just come to God in humility. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. O God, uh, search me and know my heart. Keep thy, guard thy heart with all diligence. For out of it are the issues of life. You know the big choice we need to make right now, guys? We need to make the heart choice. God, we've got three more messages in this men's conference where this word is going to be expounded. The Holy Spirit's going to meet with us. 
And we need to make choices that will ultimately affect our families, our churches, our children, our grandchildren, our spouses, everybody. Understand how big this is. So let's deal with our heart right now. God, unashamedly, courageously, I will make every choice that you, by your word, guide me to make. God, give me the courage to say yes to what you tell me to do. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes for a moment? Every head bowed and every eye closed. We're not going to have a come forward invitation. We're going to do that later on. But just right now in the quietness of your seat, would you just have a conversation not with your heart? You've already had that conversation. Have a conversation with the Lord. Ask the Lord right now, Lord, search my heart. Just ask him, Lord, search my heart. Try my thoughts. Lord, show me me. Would you pray that tonight? Lord, show me me. You can't see yourself the way you think you can. You don't know yourself the way you think you do. You can't give you the counsel that you need, that you think you need. No, God has all that for you. Tell him, Lord, show me. Would you ask specifically, Lord, would you use these next messages in this conference to highlight things in my life that need changing? Ask him that. Ask him that. And then finally, oh God, give me the courage to say yes to whatever you tell me to do. Oh God, give me the courage to say yes to whatever you tell me to do. And Father, that's my prayer. Speak to me. Speak, oh Lord. And oh God, I pray for my friends in this room, every one of them. Some that are just got the running shoes on already. Some that are just ready to bolt. Lord, all of us, help us. We love you. We love your word. We love this opportunity to get together. Now help us, we pray. We are in desperate need of your strength and, and, and help in our lives. Bless us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Amen. Let's give Pastor Skelly a hand for speaking tonight.